Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, oh, sorry. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realized that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra and this is The Vet Vault. Hello Vet Vaulters and welcome back to another episode. We were introduced to today's guest, Dr. Dan Phillips, by one of our previous guests, Dr. Dan Markwalder. Then we connected with Dan and got to know him as someone who is passionate about veterinary science and driven to share his knowledge with others and to infect them with his enthusiasm. Dan earned his veterinary degree from North Carolina State University in 2011 and then completed an internship focused on small animal emergency and internal medicine at Tufts Cummings College of Veterinary Medicine. Since then, He's been working as a small animal practitioner near Chicago, and for the last four years, he has served as the primary extern and preceptor director for his group of practices. I had to Google what a preceptor is, and Google summarizes it as someone who teaches, supports, counsels, coaches, evaluates, serves as role model, and aids in the socialization to a new role, which is a pretty good description of Dan's passions. In fact, he feels so strongly about the importance of mentoring that he partnered with Drs. Dan Markwalder and Adam Conroy from Markroy Consulting and the 7S Society to create a new venture called Vet Mentor Solutions. With VMS, they aim to mentor confident, effective, and productive veterinarians through a comprehensive video library of practical small animal techniques and client communication skills. In this episode, Dan demonstrates why he's qualified to guiding the next generation of vets into the profession. We cover topics like how to effectively give feedback, how to avoid worrying about being judged when you put your opinions out there, teaching to learn, and why goal setting is one of the most important skills you need to develop. We put Dan's mentoring skills to the test when we ask him how to ask for a pay increase. And Dan gives one of the best summaries we've ever heard of how to select a practice that you want to work in and how to interview for culture. His explanation, like all of the content in this episode, won't just resonate with young vets, but also serves as a useful reminder for practice owners and managers about what to keep in mind when creating positions for less experienced veterinarians. Please enjoy Dr. Dan Phillips. Dr. Dan Phillips, welcome to the Vetfeld Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been fun following you guys for the last six months to a year. So really excited to be part of it. Yep, I've been I've been looking forward to chatting to you. You come highly recommended from your from your colleague Dan Markwalder. So this is Mark the second, Mark two. 
Yeah, Dan Squ Dan Squared. I'm gonna have to edit that. You know, I did that to Dan as well because it's Dan Mark Walder. I I called him Mark for the first three. I was like, you know, we just got to get a you got you can't rely on Hubert here, right? What you would do? He was edit out his own mistakes. He would never edit out any of our mistakes, mate. Listen, listen. I'm I'm learning a lot about uh about the uh, the power of the post editing through some of the video stuff that I've been doing for the last six months. So uh, there's plenty of opportunities to uh to make the bad look just marginally reasonable. Yeah, uh, the whole recording yourself and then watching or listening back to it, it's an eye opener. It's a, it's an exercise in self awareness. You go, geez, I say that a lot, or that's an annoying habit. I should stop doing that. <laughs> I, I I admire both of you for. Um, putting your clinical skills and clinical opinion out there for the world to see. I, mm. I, I, it's enough for me just to have to listen to my own voice on a, on a podcast and, and air my opinions. But when you're actually putting your work on display, I, I'm self-conscious about that. I, I don't know. How, how do you deal with that? Well, I, I think it's been a learning experience for, for sure for, for, for myself um, in terms of expanding on, on my own clinical skills. I've always found that, that, teaching something is the best way to know that that you you know have a good grasp of 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 what you're saying and what you're doing um i kind of found and developed a, a an interest and a passion for for teaching and especially teaching younger students even even during my my internship phase um i think that was the that was the time where i realized that it's a real opportunity. First, you have to fake it till you make it. You know, it's it's one of those opportunities where when you're there, you're you're in the clinic, and now there's this fourth year student or their third year student coming to you presenting a case, and and you're supposed to pretend to be you're you're the adult in the room, and you're like, well, turns out I've actually been a doctor for about ten minutes, so we might have to slow down here a little bit. But uh, you know, if you when you have that opportunity to to say, okay, yeah, I I can do this, um, and then you know, feel confident that, that this is the way that we're, we're going to, we're going to direct this case. Um, I think that's a, that's a real learning opportunity, not only for, for the person who's kind of the mentee in that role, but then for the teacher as well. And um, for me, that, that evolved over, over a bunch of years into, into having more of an interest in, in doing that consistently for kind of our externship program. And then our new graduates that come into our practice. And it just became something that became, you know, those teaching rounds became something that that I was passionate about, I enjoyed. And so I, I started doing on a, on a regular basis, kind of impromptu as part of our as part of our mentoring program to help bring those students along and bring those new graduates along. And at some point, I just realized, well, we've been we've been doing the same rounds over and over again. It's the same questions all the time that that come up from from these from these new grads, You're, you've kind of got your spiel down. Um, maybe maybe there's a way then to to do that confidently for for people beyond just those individuals that are within our own clinic, basically. And so that's that's where that came from. That being said, I had never done that in front of a video camera before ever, you know. And so that was that was definitely um, a new experience, a learning experience, something that I'm still getting used to and is it is is not my not my forte you know sitting around in the in the doctor's office with two or three other you know new graduates or or externs and and kind of going through going through the case and going through the story and kind of prodding them with the with the questions that I think can help get them to the answer is really probably more more my ideal wheelhouse but at the same time if you're gonna try to make an impact to go beyond just, you know, however many people can come through your clinic over the course of the year, then then you have to 
push yourself to to go maybe outside your comfort zone a little bit and that's where kind of the the filming came in hmm. anyway, a couple of questions out of that actually um because i i personally it, it took me like shush, two years to feel comfortable in front of the camera now I can talk from the camera and just talk, but how do you cope with, or what, you know, how do you cope with the, the idea that what have you put out there is going to be judged? Well, he hasn't actually thought about this. He's sitting in now going, Oh shit. People are going to judge me. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think my opinion on it is that one of the things that I really like about veterinary medicine is that there are a lot of different ways to do the same thing. And that doesn't mean that everyone's is perfect mm-hmm. and, and that, that you have to do things my way. Um, I, I talk about this with, with students all the time when they come into my clinic. I, I call it like drinking the Kool-Aid from wherever you came from. You know, I find that whether it's something as simple as how do you tie off a pedicle or how do you unblock a cat or, you know, whatever the scenario is, there will be people that have taught you along the way that teach you their way of doing it. Um, and, and sometimes that way is, is better or worse or the same as somebody else's. A lot of times that's dictated by just dogma of someone at some school that had one bad experience with one drug one time. So maybe you, you, you magically can't use that ever again. Um, and so, and so I think what's, what's really important is to know and have those caveats. And I try to say that when I'm on camera as well, it's like, Hey, you know, this is, this is my way of doing it, but it's also important to realize that, you know, this is from, you know, the perspective that I've had of watching other clinicians do it as well, kind of taking what I've seen from them and saying, yep, that, that seems better than the way that I was taught or the way that I learned, or, oh no, I don't, I don't like that too much, or at least having the courage to say, hey, this is different than the way that I learned. Can I ask you about why you're doing it that way? And then have the courage to try it yourself and evaluate, do I think that this is better, worse, or the same as what, as what I did? And then use that to help you find the, the method that works best for you. Um, I, think, I think that's, that's really the, the thing that, that makes me less nervous about putting my personal opinion on the camera because to me, um, I, I try to emphasize that there's more than one way, one way to go about it. And I think that's one of the cool things about what we do is that, that you, you can learn from other people in the different ways that you do stuff. I mean, Gerardo, you had your, your, your movie up in your clip just the other day of the way, you know, one of the tips that you had in terms of trying to avoid spillage when you were doing a form body and you, you took that fenestrated drape and put it around, around that, that loop of intestine. I've, I've never done it that way myself. I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was really smart. And and I posted back to you. It's like, hey, I, I usually just take one of those sterile blue hand towels and on, I put that on top of my 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 lap sponges and put the loop, loop of gut right on top of that blue hand towel, cut over it, take it right out onto the blue hand towel and then chuck the hand towel. And so like, I don't know that one way is better, worse or otherwise, but you know, there's a lot of different ways to to go about it. And so I think that's where... I'm a little less nervous about putting my way out there because I'm not saying that, Hey, this is the definitive way that you have to do this. I'm just saying, Hey, this is a way that I know with confidence will get you a good result. And if you can, if you can find another way that seems better, please, by all means go for it. And then also tell me about it. Oh, that's exactly what you said right at the end is about tell me about it. And one of the things I struggled for a while putting clinical content out there was like feedback. 
and being scared of feedback. But like what I realized is that feedback is like the gem. You know what I mean? That's, that is right. the value of putting your stuff out there because someone tells you something different that's better. It's like, whoa, you know, I'll take that and try that next time. And, Brilliant. Right. And, yeah. And if, you're, if you're scared of getting feedback, if you're scared of, of you know, someone saying something you're slightly wrong, like I, I, what I realized is that my clinical skills and my clinical, I suppose, awareness has increased dramatically because of the fact that I feel responsible for the stuff that I put out there. Right. right. Yeah. And so, I think that's the same way with any teaching mode, any teaching mm -hmm. mode. Right. So whether you're teaching mm -hmm. just a couple of students that are in front of you, you, you mm -hmm. know, you've got to you got to know your stuff. If you're going to you're going to teach somebody something, you don't want to just BS it all the way through the whole thing. Like it's good to have some sort of like gravity on your planet in terms of like what you're talking about. And so um, being able to to know those things, but then absolutely get that feedback in terms of, oh, yeah, it's a different perspective. Yeah, I think that's really important. I don't know, somehow to wrap this back to a to a, a new grad or something that's in, in in practice feedback is the breakfast of champions it hurts when you get it and maybe sometimes it feels like as you kicked in the guts but if you've done something and there is a mentor or someone who who gives you feedback they have your back you know right the reason why they're giving it to you, feedback is because they have your back right not because they you know want to shut you down it's because they honestly care and like giving feedback is actually not an easy thing to do. No, no, not at all. No, it makes you quite, because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Mm. You don't want to make them feel stupid. But mm. I, I, I deal with it every day with my children. They do stuff. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's exactly. There's a lot that you can learn from. from oh, okay. Them. Okay. So <laughs> do you give feedback to them or they give you? <laughs> oh, no, they don't give a shit about giving feedback to me. No, they brutally honest. <laughs> but, but it's the same because you don't want to, if they do something and then the same goes for, for colleagues and, and students and, and younger vets, uh, you see them doing something and you go, yeah, it's, it's not terrible, but there's probably a better way, but you don't want to, discourage them or make them feel stupid by constantly saying, Oh no, yeah, that could be better. That's a very hard thing to do. Dan, you guys have a very good mentoring system in your, in your clinic. How do you guys approach giving feedback or how do you personally do it? So for me, I mean, so again, I think there's no gold standard. There's no perfect approach, but I think the, the way that I go about it, anytime that I'm going to give some feedback, that I'm going to give some advice, especially if it's, if it's a situation where now we're nervous and error has occurred or something like that, I'm usually going to start that situation with, well, I've dropped a pedicle before too. You know what I mean? So like, let's not freak out here. Like I'm going to, I'm going to help you with this. And anyone that says that they haven't dropped a pedicle before is either lying or they don't do many spades. Like those are, those are the options. And so like, you know, when, when mistakes happen, those are still learning experiences. You just have to deal with them in the moment and, and get through them. But, but I mean, I've, I've made every mistake that there is out there and and I'm thankful for the opportunities that that I have had for some really good colleagues and mentors along the way to help me through some of those situations so I can still do the best thing for the patient and for the client um, and then learn from them as well. Um, I feel that part of your responsibility as as a mentor or as a teacher is to help your 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 mentee or your student kind of avoid some of the real train wreck hard hard lessons you had to learn along the way so feel free to to dodge this one because i i did it this way but but when stuff comes up um you know that's that's 
that's part of practice. I mean, it's it's not arithmetic, you know, and so the, the answer isn't isn't always two plus two. And sometimes sometimes people go about things different ways. Sometimes errors are made and, and that's OK. And that's that's part of it. And you, you have to deal with it at that time and dealing with it appropriately and responsibly and 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 honestly is 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 step one and then learning from it is is step two for me and and that's whatever that's that's how we always approach it whenever you know a situation comes up where for for one of our junior doctors or something like that or or for one of our senior doctors because you know stuff again stuff stuff happens it's more of a more so a supportive role than it is a, a critique so so you guys have a formal mentoring structure in your clinic but when it comes to more informal mentoring, here's the first question. I don't actually actually know. How, how long have you been out of uni for? How long have you been in practice for? So I graduated in 2011. So it'll be 10 years. Oh, so 10 years. Just shy of 10 years. You look young, so I was, I was wondering how, um, how people- You've been to be now for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was wondering. You guys, have, you guys have an you guys have an advantage, you know. You get to uh, you get you graduate much young. You guys graduate much younger than we do. He's so, lying. You know, I you haven't been to, out for thirty years. Don't put the time in. Put the time in and still be young. <laughs> He's lying. I'm sorry. He's been out for forty years. <laughs> I have the wisdom as if I've been out for that long. Hey, that's that's where it, that's where it, that's where it comes from. You got it. I, I was going to ask um, because you look young in an informal mentoring situation. Uh, that can be tricky sometimes do, do, do in terms of the person receiving the the coaching or, or the teaching or, or the feedback if there's an, a feeling of well who are you to tell me um i mean you what do you know or and and, and even younger younger vets can sometimes have that attitude of well, why, why should i listen to what what you have to say do you do you feel like if it's a more informal mentoring situation that you have to have permission from the person like, do you ever have a discussion beforehand? Do, do you ever ask them beforehand, do you mind if I give you some feedback? And if they go, nah, I don't actually really don't want you to. Uh, or how do you approach that situation? I guess I don't, I guess I don't ask for that um, off, off the bat because I think that regardless of whether it's a more formal or an informal mentoring situation for it to be successful, it has to start with like a relationship of some type. And so you have to put in a little bit of time to, to know that person and feel comfortable with them and them for, to feel comfortable with you before you can transition into like a real tangible teaching, you know, scenario or moment that's going to be valuable in any way. And so I, I, you know, I don't really say come up to a person and say, hey, I'm going to give you a critique here, you know, that I just that I just met 10 minutes ago you know what I mean I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time you know whether it's even an extern a fourth year student that's coming into my clinic for you know for two weeks you know I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the first two or three days putting time in to let them know who I am what I'm about trying to investigate who they're about and then kind of evaluating where your skills at and what where are you trying to go before you know a couple days down the road we start kind of asking questions in the middle of cases and saying, Hey, what do you think? And I'm going to critique you on this or that, or, you know, how you're, how you're holding your instruments or, you know, whatever, you know, I think before you can put yourself in that position, you have to, you have to demonstrate to that person that you have, um, you have some credibility and to say, Hey, this, you know, you've seen me in action. You've seen how I interact with, with my colleagues and my coworkers. Um, and, and if this is kind of the direction that you want to go, then, then I'm happy to, I'm happy to help. And mm -hmm. these are some of the things that I see. 
I think the key word you said at the beginning there is relationship. Relationship and then trust. There probably has to be a a degree of trust. And when I speak to you, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. What I, I, I would add something in here, only because I heard you say it before, and I, I think there's somewhat of a formula to it, right? Hey, relationship helps, right? Definitely. And I, and I think that you can't, um, you, you have to have connection. But in the times when you don't have connection, Dan, when you mentioned something before, I think was key, was that someone talking about experience. And, and what I refer to as your expert positioning statement, right? When you, when, when you see someone do something that you believe is, you know, actually not the right thing to do, right? You just don't go, don't do that, right? But what you said before, you said that you share that you've done that before and you learned something from it. So that's your expert positioning statement. So, hey, hey, like, look, you know, like I remember when I first saw this the first time a couple of years back, I did the same thing that you did. Because I thought the same things that you did and it was going to be this. But what I realized and is actually where we are right now, exactly the same place. And I was like totally stumped as well. And it took me ages to figure this out. But then finally I figured it out. And the next step forward is this, right? right. It's, it's kind of like it's your expert positioning statement isn't like I'm the expert and this is what you should do. It's kind of like, hey, I can see your pains, you know? Right. It's, it's I, more of a humble, a humble recognition that I've been in the same spot, more or less. Let me help you get through this one. Um, maybe easier than I got through it myself, more or less. And again, we're, we're on the same team, you know, and this is not, this is, this is a coaching situation. This is not a, this is not a, a berating situation or anything like that. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like, um, it's, it's, I think it's beyond, coaching because we would coach them out of a problem but it's and it's almost a bit more than mentoring where you just tell them right it's almost like hey i'm your friend and i got you back because like i've been through it and i want to shortcut your journey because i don't want to see you go through the pains that i did it took me two years to learn this shit right hey you know like so share the backstory and 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 align it's like almost alignment um get on the same page and then, hey, I got, I got, I got a solution for you. Do you want to hear it? And I, I don't know. For me, that's kind of helped me out a, a lot because I went through the phase of just like, hey, douche, do this, do this. And I did it for years. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's just like, ugh, ugh. it's like I, I can't see. I don't know why they're taking it up. I'm taking it up. It's because I was just like, I was shoveling stuff down their mouth, not actually right. really aligning and actually getting on the same page as them. Yeah, I think, I think the. I always think through my, my feelings of, of guilt or scaredness or, or whatever, when I, whenever I, you know, I see, you know, this, the students or the new graduates in those situations and, and think through how, how I felt, you know, the first couple of times that I was going through them as well. And just, you know, sometimes wish that, Hey, if there was someone beside me that could help guide you through or pull you up in that situation, like how much, how much better would, would that have been? And, you know, not that you still wouldn't have maybe had a sleepless night or two afterwards, but at least to know that there was someone, you know, on your team, I think is there's a lot of value to that for sure. I, I, I find um, what, what really helps, and this is, it comes from a genuine place. I'm not trying to bite somebody out, but I ask questions as well. So I know that the, the younger guys coming through know stuff that I don't. And I'll genuinely ask questions. I'm not, I'm not trying to patronize them. I'll say, what do you think? This is what I would do, but uh, what did you guys learn? 
about this approach or how would you do this differently and having that relationship when they go all right it's okay to ask so i can ask and then that relationship is much more open and then feedback flows much much easier both ways yeah absolutely i think that goes back to that relationship thing that we were talking about too right so i mean you know you have to you have to establish that that relationship at the beginning in terms of hey you know this is this is a this is a friendship we're we're collegial here we're colleagues um i have maybe more experience than you do but it's not that i can't learn from you as well um and and yeah if you if you demonstrate that you're able and willing to do that i think that that really helps tremendously it's almost like letting them fail safely right like yeah. a lot of a lot of the conundrums i get from um clinicians who are trying to mentor uh new veterinarians who join our team it's like i told them not to take those x-rays i told them that bloods weren't the first step but it's like okay is 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 okay i get it i get that to get to that shortcut point you would have done an ultrasound rather than an x-ray okay i get that but like well, what what you know, like, what, what are they harm did that do? <laughs> if you don't let them try something, and at the same time, the value of them taking the X-ray, the value of them like like fleshing out their own diagnostic process, interpreting radiographs, and going, actually, you know what? Actually, ultrasound would have been the next step here. You know, eventually they all learn that stuff. You know, I just think that sometimes shortcutting it too much, um, and then wanting to protect them too much, is 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 actually detrimental to their own growth because it's almost like deciding is it a critical failure or is it a, is it a safe failure right you know like yeah. if you do that you're gonna is a dog gonna die no Ricky, you can do that let's see what happens right you're gonna do that dog's gonna die okay you know what no i'm gonna jump in <laughs> yeah right expert <laughs> positioning statement i had the right. same i was i thought the same thing about three yeah. years ago and yeah. what I did was actually the same thing you're going to do now. And oh my God, I wish I did. Please that. don't do that. Yeah. Let, <laughs> yeah. Me, let, let, me, let me help you not do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let me not do that. Yeah. Gee, you had a question earlier. You were shaping to have a question. Oh, and then you interrupted me, right? Mm -hmm. Like always. Right? <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I'm fairly certain Hubert cuts out every single question I ask. <laughs> no, that's not true. I listen to the podcast. I listen. <laughs> So I know that's not true. You get in, you get at least one per per episode. Well, sure. why, yeah. Thank you, thank you. One question per episode. Thank you. You, you know, know what? what I, you know what I do I, cut out. You know what I do. Hubert's going to cut this out. Here we go. No, 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 this section I'll cut. It. You know what I do cut out is me going. Gerardo, have you got a question? And they go, No, no. You go. You go. And then I go. Okay, I'll ask the next question. <laughs> that's what gets cut. Oh, we're, we're talking. We're, we're talking about like you know trying to save people, right? Trying, trying to like. How would you say, like, let them grow in an environment where they feel supported and safe, right? So they fail safe, but then you don't like critical failures is like, we will help you here, right? Right. But, like, what have been your own bad decisions? You know, like, like bad decisions that have led to like just like amazing stories or just like a war story. Like, what's the kind of war story that you got to share with us? Well, I think, I think probably more than like, like a, a clinical war story it's probably more like like maybe the decisions that i made from like a, a career perspective at the beginning of my career are probably more like the 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 challenging ones that that i made so and i and i think that they're probably reflective of a lot of the choices that that maybe new graduates make now and maybe that's what's kind of gotten me more into the the teaching role a little bit is is i see some of the same 
errors that that I made. So mostly in regards to like looking for and evaluating that that first first practice that I went into. So so I started in an internship and the goal there was I was going to I wanted to become a, a surgeon when I grew up. That was going to be that was going to be my my big plan. Um, and I probably didn't think through all the way not necessarily the time commitment that that was going to be necessary to to do that, but more so the impact that that was going to have on my life outside um, of of the workplace. Um, you know, we we my wife and I we had just gotten married, and um, because we couldn't commit to how long we were going to be in one particular place, um, you know, knowing that we were probably only going to be there for a year or so. Um, it was difficult for her to find consistent work. And so, you know, I was working 80, 90 hours a week and the pager was going off in the middle of the night or whatever it was. And then we'd get home and we'd argue about how we were going to pay the rent. And we had both been through, you know, undergrad and graduate school and had these great degrees. And it's like, what, what the hell is going on here? Like, this is, this is, this is miserable. This makes no sense. And always my, my big fear at the beginning of that process was, well, what if I don't get a residency right out of the back and then I'm stuck? Are we going to, are we going to move again and do this whole thing for, for another year and, you know, go through the internship process one more time to continue to apply, blah, blah, blah. And then, then one day in the middle of the night, it woke me up. I don't know, only four or five months into my internship and, and said, well, what if, what if I do get a residency and we guarantee ourselves this this life and this life track for the next four years. Are we going to, are we going to be happy? Are we still going to be married afterwards? And so that was probably, probably the most eye opening moment probably of my career for, you know, number one, and it kind of made me take a, a, a career change trajectory. And then when I knew that I was not going to continue in academia after that, then probably my, my next bad choice that I made was evaluating the first practice that I wanted to be at based on the aesthetics of it. So it was a big, beautiful, it was a big, beautiful practice. They had every toy and every bell and whistle that you could, that you could think of that was not at like a referral place. They were open 24 hours. And I was like, I've learned so much from this internship. I really like high quality medicine. I can hospitalize patients here 24 hours. I can do transfusions if I need, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And so I, I took that job and I took that as an opportunity to really kind of push myself as much as I, as I was willing to do. And I had some good colleagues that would help me along the way. So that was, that was a plus. But what was a minus was that I didn't evaluate the, the culture at the practice. And I didn't know how to do that. And I didn't know the right questions to ask. And it took me about three or four years to realize and admit to myself that I had made a mistake there and that the opportunities that I had were always going to be limited to just being an associate veterinarian. And and if I wanted other opportunities beyond that, I was going to have to change change my my current employment, my career path and change some goals and actually start setting some goals for the first time. And I think all of those previous decisions were, were made without real tangible goals in mind. And because of that, I didn't ask the right questions when I was going through like the interview process and the evaluation process. I think those were the two big, probably bad decisions that I made in, in the course of my career. I still learned a lot from both of them there, you know, and I'm, I don't regret that I, that I did them, but would I be farther ahead now 
10 years out if I hadn't had the, the three to five year kind of just doing it my way detour without people to help me. Um, I, absolutely. I, I would be farther along. Yeah. So, so the question then so is many questions. Yeah. <laughs> the question is there, how do you evaluate culture? Right? Because like, I, I, like I love the, the, the hospital that I work in because we have all the bells and whistles, right? The toys, the scopes, the ultrasounds, the x-rays. And like, I, I can't imagine going away from that. Right. So I'm kind of stuck. You know, my career is like, Oh, I love this stuff, stuff, stuff. And it's like, okay, where do I go next? Practice ownership whatever it may be and on and further, but it's like, I couldn't go back to general practice without those things. So how do you evaluate culture? What questions yeah. would you ask? Yeah. So if I was, if I was a, if I was a, a new employee that was, or a prospective employee that was coming in to, to, to interview a place, um, I, I get, I get students coming in and asking me all the time things like, well, what does the schedule look like? Do you have an ultrasound? Um, you know, like stuff that is nonsense. Like at the end of the day, that has nothing to do with, are you going to be happy in this place? And is it, and has nothing to do with why you are now looking for another job. Like the reason you're probably a year out from graduation and are not happy with the place that you're at right now is because there's no one there supporting you to get you to where your goals are. And so I think the questions that, that you need to ask and you need to evaluate are, who is here and is going to be here and is dedicated to, to helping me? What are your guys' goals and do they align with my goals of where I want to go? And do you have examples of ways that you have poured into other people to help them achieve what those goals are? And they should have some sort of tangible examples of those things. And if the example is, oh, no, but look at this really pretty CT scanner that we've got over here. That's no, that's not the answer because um, that that at the end of the day, that really is nice, but is not going to keep you happy. What, yeah. what keeps you happy is, is a work environment where people are committed to helping you achieve what your goals are. So first, you have to know what your goals are. I think that's number one. And I didn't know what mine were for a really long time. And that probably held me back. I, I think that during interviews, like I, because I've done dozens of them. I'm like, are you not asking questions? You know, like the right. interview is not just a one way thing. It's not like, Hey, like me interrogate you trying to find, like ask you questions that will trick you to somehow kind of spill that you can't handle stress properly or something. Um, you know, so, but it's, it's, it's also more so for the, the person who's been interviewed to interview their potential employer. A hundred percent proof. Give me proof right. that you can support me. Right. You know? So you say we have support structures. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that look like? Right. Yeah, exactly right. Right. What does that look like? You say you, every 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 young vet student that comes in my clinic says they want to be mentored. And then the first question out of my mouth is, what does that look like for you? And then it's usually, and then it's usually a blank glazed over stare and no and nothing. There's nothing tangible. So, yeah. so I think the question that should be coming out of their mouth is what does an organized structured mentorship program look like within your organization and give me tangible things that demonstrate that. Don't tell me that 
you know, oh yeah, we're going to mentor you. Like, no, what does that mean? Does that mean that I have a dedicated person that is going to be my, my dedicated mentor and my schedule is going to overlap with theirs 80% of the time? Does that mean that we have written down goals that we're going to go through on a regular basis? Does that mean we're going to sit down, you know, and have time that's committed to do that multiple times out of the weeks so that we can work towards achieving not only my goals as a clinician, but your goals as a practice owner? Like what, what does that mean? And if, and if the answer is, yeah, we've got a mentorship program, then, then guess what? You, you don't have a mentorship program. And beyond that, like you, you don't have a tangible evidence that, that 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 group is there to support you to get you to what your goals are. And, and there's benefits from both sides with, with all of those individuals achieving their goals. It, you just it, have to one, know what they are and you have to work together and commit to, to getting to them. Well, it's, it's, it's alignment, right? It's getting on the same page. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, like Dan, if you come and like interview me, I'll be like, you know, what are you expecting? And then you be interviewing me. I'm hope like, I'm hoping that you would interview me to then like go like, what is it in a way? You know, like, so I'm going to ask you what your expectations are. And then you're going to ask me for evidence of what I can deliver. But then also at the same time, it's, it's like, like uh, the question that I, I I wish that people who joined our organization asked us was like, what is your expectation of me? Like, you know, like if I was, if I was into, if I was going for another interview, maybe one day I'll lose my job for whatever, whatever reason and, and, and have to go in and do an interview of again, I'm going to give these poor suckers a run for their money because it'd be like, what, you know, what, what would a successful outcome look like for you if you hire from me, if you hire me? In six months' time, what are you expecting from me? In, in three months' time, what are you expecting from me? You know, like, like if, if, if you were to visualize us six months into the future and you were happy with my performance, what would that look like? Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think, I think that's, those are like the really powerful questions. And instead you always get, again, the, the benign asinine ones, you know, like what, what's the schedule like, you know, like whatever, like this, like small variations in the schedule. We're all veterinarians. Some of us are going to work Saturdays. Like it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like that, that is not going to dictate whether you are happy here or not. Um, what's, what's really going to dictate, you know, are you successful? Do you want to stay? Do you want to be a long-term part of this organization is do our goals align with your goals? And, and the only way to evaluate that during an interview is one to know what your goals are. And, and I, I struggled with that mightily for a long time and never admitted to myself what they were. I just, I was on the, well, I work hard plan. And, and if you work really hard, then it'll, it'll all work out basically. And, and that's true. Um, but it, it can only lead you so far. And at some point you need people to, to help you be, go beyond kind of, kind of that, those basic, basic things that you can just do by putting in more hours than other people. And, and if you don't admit to yourself what those goals are, you'll never, you'll never achieve them. I think that is the, the key thing there. Though. I think when you say you didn't know what your goals were, I certainly did not know what my goals were when I was fresh out of uni. Maybe they were don't stuff up and <laughs> don't kill stuff <laughs> don't kill right. stuff that was my goal exactly <laughs> uh, i'm curious uh, the, when well what were your goals or how did it look like when it started crystallizing in your head when you started getting a picture of of what we, you were aiming for and and the second part of the question is would you have been able to get to those goals fresh from uni or or a year or so into your career is it 
because I'm not actually sure whether it is possible, but I might be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, that that early in your career that you can't, that you do actually know what you want. Well, I I think you you could, but I think you have to be open to evolving what your what your goals are. So maybe they're they're a little bit more basic at the beginning in terms of you know my first year out, you know I I want to be able to do a spay in 20 minutes. I want to be able to not freak out when I drop a pedicle. I want to be able to do an explore and and be comfortable with it. Um, and then maybe my second year out, okay, I'm feeling good with, with some of my clinical skills. I want to advance some of those a little bit. I found some of the things that I'm interested in. So I want to focus my, my CE on those things that I can really start to, you know, hone in on some of those things and define who I'm going to be as a clinician. And, and I, I was able to figure that stuff out for, for myself. It's after those three to five years that I felt pretty good about my clinical stuff that I really hit a wall in terms of, not having goals beyond that, not having those that were defined and needing someone to, to help me along the way. And, and I realized that I wanted an opportunity beyond just being an associate. I wanted some sort of leadership role within an organization and the place that I was at, that was not going to be possible. And that's, that's where I was referring back to, to those mistakes that I had made. And so that's where I had to, to reach out and find other opportunities where someone was going to be able to pour into me in terms of teaching me those, you know, we'll call them soft skills, those leadership skills. Don't say soft. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slap you through the camera. I slapped you. There you go. They're Don't more, say soft skills. <laughs> they're, all right, more. They're, they're probably more important. They're performance. Okay, performance skills that are, that are more. They're probably more critical than like your actual like clinical acumen and aptitude. Um, but they are really difficult to learn just sitting in a just sitting in a in a classroom somewhere or or without someone pouring into you and and that's that's when i met dan markwalder actually and um and he he took a chance on me and um he 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 poured into me and he gave me an opportunity to um, to go beyond being an associate veterinarian and a, and a clinician and and more of a, a leader within an organization and someone who is involved with the with the business in some way and then start to define what my, my own goals were going to be for for myself and then he was 100% supportive in in helping me to to get those things um, could I have could I have done that right out of the gate probably with him, I could have, but again, I, I would have needed some help in defining what those goals were. And I might not have known them off the bat, but, but I think the the key is you have to identify what those goals are, be amenable to, to evolving those goals as, as they change, and then make the effort to find the people that are willing to, to help you support and achieve those goals. I think, I think that's, that's, that's what I've learned over 10 years. That's a good answer. I, I am muted. <laughs> I going to say, you're talking, but I really, it's really lovely to see you lips move. But nice. <laughs> <laughs> to, to see me speak, but not hear my voice. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a question then, um, but I think you may have answered it. But tell me if you have. What, what did you know after five years of veterinary practice that you wish you knew at the start of your career? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's still... I think it still circles back to, to, to you have to set goals for yourself. And if you don't, if you don't set tangible goals and if you don't write them down, you're, you're never going to achieve them. That's number one. And then you also generally need individuals to, to help you 
help you achieve those. And then my, my thing with kind of where I've gotten now is now, now I'm making an effort to try to help others kind of achieve those goals and in, in kind of a pay back type of situation where I've been fortunate to be in a situation where individuals have taken the time, taken the chance to pour into me. Um, it's been really beneficial for, for all sides in terms of like Gerardo, what you were saying with, with aligning everyone's goals there, that they, that they are beneficial both from the employer and from the employee standpoint. Um, and, and now I'm kind of making efforts to, to, to kind of instill that into the younger people that, that I meet or the newer clinicians that, that I meet. And I, I, I just wish that it hadn't taken me five years to, to figure that out. And I think, I think if, if you have those goals, when you, when you walk out the door of, of vet school, um, you're, you're much closer to achieving them than, than I ever would have been, even if they're the wrong goals and you have to change them in six months or a year, at least the, the practice of writing them down and working towards solving the steps to get you to, 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 to achieve those goals is really, really valuable practice and, and something that's, that's instrumental. If it makes you feel any better, it took me much longer. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it took you five years, you could double that for me. And I do think that that contributed. I, I wasn't happy as a vet for, for the first 10 years of my life. And I, I think it's because I had, I had goals outside of work. Uh, it was mostly to do with where I want to live. Um, so we immigrated twice, which probably doesn't help for, for career progression because you restart, hit the restart button every time you do that. But, but it wasn't, work was exactly like you said, those people who come into the interviews and I was more concerned about when am I gonna see my, my wife and where we're gonna live and, but I don't think they're unreasonable things to think about. I don't think you could leave those out of your decision-making entirely, but in retrospect, and, I, and I'm not one for, for regret, I don't think there's any value in it, but in retrospect, I think I could have, could have paid more attention to my career at a young stage and, and not because I, there's no regret in terms of where I ended up career-wise or how my, how my career went, but I think I would have had more enjoyment. I, th I feel like I wasted 10 years of, of enjoyment from my career where, where work was just work and then get it done, get the paycheck, and then go do the stuff I liked. Uh, whereas sure. I, think if I, I think if I had a different attitude, I, I could have had a lot more fun. Um, well, not even fun, fulfillment in those first 10 years than I did. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I... I... I guess I I will refine my my or revise my my previous assessment then for for those interviewees. So I I think that those that those other aspects are are important. But I think evaluating can this practice help me achieve my goals is probably the first question that should come out of your mouth and uh, and figure that alignment portion of it that way. And then see hey can the can the details be worked out to make it such that my personal goals I can also achieve as well. Because if you can only achieve your personal goals, but not achieve your professional goals from a, from a, a perspective employer, then you might as well wrap up the interview, frankly, because you're, you're going to be, you, you might end up taking the job, but in a couple of years, you're going to be looking for another one. So. Well, one thing that I actually, uh, a lesson that my own actual bosses and now business partners have told me was look at you, look at your employer and if you want a life like theirs, then go for it. And if they're a person who is like aging badly, serious health issues, working, I don't know, like a thousand hours a week, no matter how possible or impossible that is. And you want a piece of that, then go for it. If you don't want, douche, don't go for it. Yeah, it's a good point. 
Mm, because they were going to expect the same thing as you. If you step up into a position that's any, in any form of leadership, any form of buying a piece of the pie, 5%, 2%, 3%, 20%, 50%, 49%, their expectations are going to be exactly the same for what that, you know, they're going to look at you and go, why aren't you doing a thousand hours a week? Mm. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, I, I, I heard a, um, an interesting talk at a conference once that talked about, there was research into why vets left practice, uh, left the career altogether. Uh, so it wasn't just opinion. It was they actually did solid research on it. And one of the main reasons was that, that they didn't feel like they belonged in the profession because of those sort of that sort of modeling that they saw. They looked at all the vets and went, shit, I don't want that when I'm 55 or 60. So I, I'm going to get out now while I can. Yeah, well, that's the key point, right? If there's older vets out there who are listening to this podcast, like it's all about role modeling the way, right? You know, like you talked about it before, Dan, with regards to mentoring, never actually said it, right? But it's like you're, you're in a way, you're, more, you're role modeling the way that you should think. You may not exactly know the information, but if you role model the way that, hey, I'll, like, I'll act calm and I'll act um, composed, but then I know and I'm okay with not knowing information, despite the fact I've been out for 10 minutes and you're in fourth year, I know now the steps I need to go to the information is this. That's role modeling the way as opposed to shit, I don't know what to do now. I have nowhere to go. It's the same thing goes for practice owners who work a gazillion hours who haven't actually yet developed like they just maybe, I don't know. I, I, I don't actually know how to say this, but in a way that like they're, they're what they're role modeling is an unsustainable way of life an unsustainable right. and unbalanced and no aspect of self-care, which is so important in this right. age with our generation of veterinarians that are coming through. If we don't demonstrate self-care, if we don't demonstrate self-love um, and also demonstrate a role model health, you know, physical activity, eating healthy, being social, having a good network of people who develop you and push you forward, then, you know, how are they ever going to look at you and go, actually, you're the person, you know, I would like to be where you are right now. Yeah, I think I think that circles back, Gerardo, to what we were talking about in regards to um, being able to 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 learn from your mentee as well. So, you, you know, you, you learn from both of them. I mean, there, there, there is probably a, still a, a generational gap that exists in, in veterinary medicine. And I think there's opportunities for, you know, um, individuals that, that grew up in the, well, you graduate and then you buy a practice and you work 60 hours a week and that just is what it is. Um, and, to and you know maybe they're they're resentful of or 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 don't appreciate the perspective from maybe the the newer generation that's coming up that says maybe that's not for me um doesn't mean that that's necessarily wrong um and you have to be open and to to, to listening to those things and evaluating it and saying hey what what can we learn here because yeah i i've i've blown up my my life and and spent 80 60 hours a, a a week in the clinic for my entire life and kind of, kind of miss some of it. And so maybe, maybe the millennials don't have it all wrong, that type of thing. And, you know, they can, they can learn from your experience. They can learn from your business acumen. They can learn from, um, you know, a lot of things that you've been through and mistakes that you've made and, and those types of things. But, but you can also learn a lot of things from them as well in terms of having that, that slightly different perspective. Um, and, and that's, that's something that I've, I've learned from them as well in terms of how do I, 
you know, how do I allocate that time such that I, I, I allocate it in the, in the ways that are most beneficial to me to, to help with my happiness for sure. Mm, yeah. It's learning both ways. Totally. So you, to me, Dan, I, I look at you and what you do and you look like a very enthusiastic veterinarian who, who loves the profession. Are there things about the profession that still bothers you that you, that you'd like to see in, in your lifetime or, or for the people coming after us? Well, I think, I think the, the main thing that, that, that concerns me or, or, or bothers me now is, is, is people losing enthusiasm for the profession. Maybe, maybe early on, um, getting, getting down and out, getting beat down by it, whether that was, you know, um, I had too much student debt and now I, you know, I can't afford to live life the way that I want to. Um, you know, I, I want to be a practice owner, but I'm, but I'm struggling because I, I can't compete with corporate America. Um, or I don't have the, 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 the quote unquote work-life balance or work-life synergy that I'm, that I'm looking for. Um, and, and I'm just not, just not happy in some way. And they, they had this lifelong dream and, you know, they, they worked all the way through, through vet school and, you know, they kind of almost came out with, with negative vibes. And after a year or two years, we're, we're looking for another job and I'm looking to, to try to change up the scenario. And then, and then I'm still not asking the right questions about, um, where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at my new interview because I've, I've, been at a clinic for for six months eight months 12 months 18 months and i'm already looking for a change and and now i'm still asking about do you have an ultrasound machine or not i'm like you're you're killing me man you are absolutely killing me and so that's that's the part that maybe kind of hurts me the most and and i think that's where things like like your guys's you know podcasts and interviews can really be good examples for people about the different ways that they can be involved in veterinary practice beyond just you know that classical clinical role whether that's you know i know you've, you've brought on a lot of individuals that were in government that were in leadership that were in public health you know there's there's lots of different ways to to be happy with with this degree and with this career it gives you a lot more opportunities than maybe you would stereotypically think and um there's there's no reason to be unhappy with 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 this career choice there's there's really not and so um i think maybe that's the part that's that's a little bit a little bit sad and, and upsetting for me, but I think I think what you guys are doing is is a great opportunity for a way to get that that positive message out there. That's quite literally why why this started. It, it all the, the podcast started literally because I like I said earlier I I was so miserable being a vet until I realized I was well, really drunk and we were having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, we were. <laughs> no, it was literally that because I was that miserable vet who wanted to leave the profession early on until until I realized that it's it's not the profession's fault. It's just my, my approach and my attitude. That's, that's probably not probably was definitely at fault. Um, and then I thought, well, we've got to tell people this. And that's exactly what I love about what you're doing. Cause you have, you have the same, the same goal to say to people, Hey, it's not, there, there is a way to be fulfilled and happy in this. I totally go through phases where, where I'm like, Oh, okay, I'm done now. Well, but it's, it's not that right. You can totally recreate, anything you want with this career like you know provided that you just like see beyond like we talked about having goals right and before we talked about you know having a plan and so forth a lot of people like like the goals are like i want to earn a hundred thousand bucks but you know like like you, you can earn a hundred thousand dollars by working 100 hours a week sure sure okay i don't even know there's is it even a hundred hours in a week i have no idea anyway but it's almost like what like what does the future look, feel, and sound like for me? 
you know, it, it's almost like, like, what is a goal that you have for you, like a vision for yourself in the future? And what does that look, feel and sound like? A lot of people don't even think about that. You know, they, they don't actually have a vision in mind. And what they realize is that once you have a vision of what I believe is once you have a vision in mind of what your future looks like, you can create it whichever way you like and do whatever you like with this career and the information and all the knowledge that you have and, and like share it, spread it, reproduce it, whichever way you like. And it could get to that point and it doesn't always have to be vaccinating dogs or doing cruciate surgeries or whatever it may be. Like it could be business, it could be podcasting, it could be writing books, it could be making online courses, it could be driving around in your van and doing home visits. Like there's so many different like iterations and permutations and combinations of, of this career that we can we can choose to create the perfect life we like. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Dan, I'm gonna I'm gonna test your mentoring skills. I've been watching your your videos uh, on the on the oh boys. Um, oh boy. <laughs> Here we go. I love the I love the idea. Of, and this again, this is obviously the drum that we like to beat. Is the is the what did you call them, Gerardo? Not the soft skills. The performance. Performance. Don't you dare say soft skills because skills. So, I'm so with I, Dan here. I'm with Dan here. Like I have seen clinicians who do not have the clinical know-how but perform so much better with i know they're not soft skills you don't have to lecture me about it i'm asking for a better (laughs) word for it performance skills performance skills like i think they're performance skills dan what would you call them fantastic i think that's i think that's a better word than i've got so let's go with it yeah so on your on your videos on the the vet mentor what's vms vet mentor What's the S for again? Vet mentor, vet mentor solutions. Solutions, thank you. On vet mentor solutions, you do have a communication one as well. So I went straight there. I wanted to see what you. Um, so with communication, there's a there's a question we get quite often. I've certainly had quite often from from especially younger vets talking to your boss about a pay increase. How? So you've you've been. Have you had people talk to you about that as well in your role? Uh, thankfully not, because I am technically not their boss. Oh, uh, so okay. that helps. All right. So you haven't, been on, you, you, haven't, you haven't been on both sides of the of the equation. I yet. haven't been on both sides, but um, but I I have been on on the on the one side doing the asking. And so I would say I would say in terms of the the ways to go about that, I think the first is you have to know your own value. And so that's where again, a lot of the struggle comes in for, for new graduates as well. What Gerardo was saying, Hey, what is, what does success look like for you six months down the road? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of that will be in line with, I want, you know, a, a certain time frame or, or a, a tangible skill that I want to be able to do at six months, but it, it should really be along the lines of, you know, what, what am I able to, to produce and generate for, for this practice? Because that's, that's where the value for the employer comes in. And if you don't know what that is for yourself, then how do you value, how do you understand what your own value is to the practice? Um, And so if, if you um, think that you should be earning more, or you're going to your, to your, to your employer for a prospective pay raise, I think the first step in that process is to know 
what are you actually generating and producing for your own practice? And, 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 and if you're not getting those numbers, if you're not getting that feedback, then, then you're not getting adequate performance reviews to evaluate where you're at. And so that first part of that conversation before you go to an employer to say, uh, I need, I would like, or I, I want a pay raise because, you know, I've, I've, my HVAC just exploded. You know, the, 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 the real question is three months before that you need to come to them and say, can we please take an hour and sit down and talk about my numbers over the last two months? What's my average client transaction look like? What is, what are the number of clients that I'm seeing? And where are areas that you see that I could improve or that I see that, that I could improve based on these numbers? And then, you know, a lot of it is just basic math out there. And it's, it's not that hard to figure out whether you're getting fairly or, 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 or unfairly compensated. I would say in the States, the vast majority of, of comp- compensation packages at this point are on a, on a production basis of some type. So you have your, your base salary and then you have a, a production scale or a bonus scale that's associated with what you produce and generate. There are some pros and cons associated with that system. Many people frown upon it from a distance in terms of saying, well, maybe that generates competition within your hospital among your your coworkers and your doctors and and that kind of thing for procedures and that kind of stuff. Um, And and I would say that in my experience, in a well-run practice, in a well-run organization with a very collegial environment where everyone is working to achieve the same goals and help build the practice if you are all committed to that same goal then everyone will make more money and it's it's pretty much out on the table you know hey this is this is what i've generated in terms of revenue for the practice and 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 you know my cut in the in the us is somewhere between 20 and 22% if you're in small animal practice that's that's basically the formula for how it works mm I, 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 okay. So for, for us, it's, it's, we were one of the first to, to roll out sort of um, production based um, pay scales, right? And it was frowned upon because they felt like as if um, it was all about, it was all about um, like money making. It's all about just, you know, like I, for the people who were good at being a salesman, they were really good and then getting paid more and so forth and whatever and things like that. Right. But, but then like, I I honestly don't believe that a veterinarian who um, can't or doesn't want to invest or learn the skills or, 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 or can't advocate for a pet. Right. Right. Shouldn't be paid the same for a veterinarian who is actually advocating for good healthcare for, for a pet. Right. No, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. If, 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 if their own, if, if they are, if they are, if they're not confident, right. And maybe there's some people out there who listen to this and I'm really sorry if this is you, but if you're not confident to, to put yourself out there and learn the skills to up, upskill, to learn how to communicate, to learn how to advocate and get over the whole, just like what is best for the pet and feeling like, as if you're selling, like, like I hate the word selling. Everyone hates the word selling, but we sell every day. Like when you get up in the morning and you do your hair, you are selling yourself, right? When you go out to dinner for on a date and you're dressing yourself up, that is selling. You are selling yourself to that person you are dating with. We sell on a daily basis and just get over the word sell because honestly, the better we are at it, the, the more successful we are. Like if you, you know, like if you were going to a date and you didn't want to sell yourself, how successful are you going to be? You, the person's not probably not going to date you again, right? 
And it's the same thing in a consult room. If, if you're in a consult room and you, you don't want to feel like a pushy person because you don't want to feel a bit uncomfortable that the client may say no because that dog's teeth are falling out and you don't want to push a dental, you know, you just undercut the life, you know, the health of that dog because you just, it's something else you need to get over yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to interrupt yeah. you because the, the way you phrase it might make it sound like, like you, you said something about the health of the dog. I, I know how you feel about this and I know how you guys operate. It's not saying the health of the pet is, is not important. Although or that shouldn't be your primary concern. You should be focusing more on generating more money. That's not what we're saying. That's not what Gerard is saying. It is the best interest of the animal is what mm. you should be selling. You should, mm. be pu- should be pushing for, and that equates to money. I just want to clarify because some people might listen to you and go, "Fuck it, Gerard, I didn't care about the health." Yeah, no, it's I like totally. Like, no, it's it is exactly advocating for you. I animal. always put myself in the shoes. If I was the dog which had a sore belly, and like I was vomiting for three days, what tests would I like to have done on me? You know, everything, everything, <laughs> you know, like find me an answer because I feel like Except shit. the rectal exam. I feel like a, yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't do that. Don't do that again. No, that guy with the bigger finger. Don't do that again. <laughs> you know, like I, like I, I just think that, you know, if I was the pet, you know, wouldn't I like an answer for my own illness, yeah. you know? And, and, and if the client says no, the client says no. Okay. If my, my owner says no, Gerardo shouldn't have those tests because I, you know, I can't afford it because I need to pay my school fees. Perfectly fine. I have no issues with that, but I we still don't like Gerardo very much anyway. So he, it's because he talks <laughs> too much on podcasts. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think there's, there's multiple components that, that go into, that go into that. The first is that if you are practicing, I think good quality medicine and advocating for the things that are important and are cornerstones of your practice, whatever that practice is, Gerardo, you even mentioned that, you know, um, Hey, you, you know, you need to push yourself to, 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 to acquire up skills and those types of things, whether that's, you know, I need to go learn how to do ultrasound or I need to learn how to do a lateral suture or whatever those, whatever those skills are, you know, I, I agree those can help with your production overall, but, but I think what matters much, much more is consistently advocating for the best standard of care within the, within the exam room and whether you can execute that last final or two steps at the end of the day, probably not going to have a huge impact on your production overall. Yes. If I can advocate for it and, um, ad- advise the client that yes, this dog has a torn cruciate and it needs, and it needs a lateral suture and it's a 10 pound dog. And I know how to do the lateral suture. Then, then my production is going to be better this month. That's, that's okay. But, but at the end of the day for my junior doctors, in terms of getting them to understand the value of production to me is much more about consistency advocating for the client consistently and then advocating for yourself in terms of what are the things that you can do every single day to be consistent to advocate for the best medicine for for the pet in the united states that means that every single time that you're in an exam room you need to be talking about heartworm prevention for that dog and that is not an upsell that is the best thing for that dog and and if you do that and if you do that with confidence and you do that consistently that will be a higher generating, a higher practicing doctor and a higher earning doctor in my practice compared to the one who doesn't do that. And that has nothing to do with whether they can do an ultrasound or they can do a lateral suture or not. And so, um, yes, adding those additional skills is, is to me something that I find valuable because I myself don't, I kind of get 
bogged down at the end of the day with with kind of the classic GP talk, more or less. And, and I try to push myself into those other realms of of maybe some some other avenues of medicine where I can where I can push myself more. But I still think that you can be a really good advocate and a high uh, advocate for your for your pet and a high producer for yourself and for your employer um, by just advocating the best thing for for the pet. And if you do that consistently, um, the the revenue will follow. I I I I believe that 100. percent I know that from from the from the students that I teach. So you don't need to be a a surgeon to be a high no high no because that's an argument I've, I've heard often, and and I think that was my excuse for a long time because I'm I'm like you I'm I'm strong in the GP and I'm strong in the medicine. Uh, never been interested in chopping bones, um, and, and then you you find that the in terms of generating revenue for the practice, the surgeon who's in theater all day is killing it because it's big numbers going through for the whole procedures and you consult your ass off all day and you're working really hard, but you can't push those same sort of numbers. So in a system that's purely numbers based, your, um, your, your pay, it can disadvantage. Well, the argument is that it can disadvantage you, but you, you reckon, no, you can, you could, you can. Equal I, I, no, I, I just, I disagree with that because I think if, if it's set up properly and it's set up consistently, first of all, if it's taking you three hours to do the lateral suture and you charge the client 2000 bucks for it, then my associate that saw six clients during that two hour time frame made a hell of a lot more money for the practice than, than the person who was doing the lateral suture for three hours. So that's number one. Number two, if you are ad consistently advocating for not only the client, but for yourself in terms of when that puppy comes in, I want to make a connection with this client. I want to make a connection where they trust in me to help take care of this pet for the next 12 years. And that means that when there's an issue, they're going to come in and they're going to see me consistently and they're going to ask for me and I'm going to do their spay and I'm going to do their neuter for them. And on my spay and neuter day every single week, I've got six or seven dogs that I'm going to do a spay for that I've been working with those clients for the last three months since I saw them as a puppy. And then I'm going to see them when they're one, two, three, all the way until we get into the geriatric phases of things. And so I think that if you're an advocate and you make a connection with that client, then they come back to see you and your client pool grows. You are going to be far, far more successful in the long term, maybe not this week, mm. than the surgeon who did three splenectomies today. But over the long haul, your appointment book is going to be a hell of a lot more full consistently. And if you're getting paid based on your production, then that's going to matter a hell of a lot more than how how many lateral sutures did I do today? And then I didn't have any other appointments for the next month because it turns out I'm a jackass in the in the exam room and nobody wants to come talk to me. Like 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 that's simple. Ten out of ten, I will definitely listen to you as a mentor, and everybody else should. That was awesome. That was really that's, good. That's a really good answer, mate. Um, I think we should probably start wrapping up. We, we're pushing our, our time limit. Definitely go check out the work that the Dan's doing on, on Vetbender Solutions. I, I have watched quite a few videos. I wish I had access to, to that sort of stuff as a new grad. It would have saved me a lot of heartache and, and a nice shortcut to, to getting my skills, including my consultation skills, uh, on, a, on a much better level. So how do you find Vet Mentoring Solutions? Yeah, so we're at uh, we're at a couple of different avenues. We're at vetmentorsolutions.com, um, and that's where some of our pilot videos are are already posted in terms of um, uh, mentorship for for new graduates and or students that are still in their third or fourth year starting their clinical rotations. And then we are at vms.mentors on Instagram. 
Beanster.mentors at Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, we got, we're going to have to wrap up with our, our standard questions. You're not, you're not going to escape them. Um, are you a podcast listener? So full truth serum. Yeah. First podcast that full first podcast that I listened to was the one that you guys did with Dan Mark Walder. Uh, <laughs> well, if, if I've done one good thing with my life, it's that um, I've introduced Dan Phillips to podcasts. Six or eight months ago. But I got addicted to yours as I did that. So it became part of my commute for, for the last six months. And, uh, and because of that, then also, I know that you guys asked that at the end of it. And one of your, one of your interviewees mentioned one called Sawbones, which was kind of like the history of like medical mistakes and stuff with one MD and her spouse, who's like a, who's a comedian or something. Oh my God, it's unbelievable. And, and what about books? Have you got any, any books that, have helped you in any regard with your goal setting or and they don't have to be vet related that that were, that I have to read yeah absolutely so so in terms of in terms of books from like a professional standpoint I like the ideal team player um, and and that one focuses on it's really short quick easy read and it talks about some of those keys maybe to look for not only as an interviewer but as an interviewee when you're evaluating that employee so I really like that one it, it's got really simple, easy to remember um, concepts that I think really hit home in terms of what are the what are the important intangibles that you're trying to evaluate and identify when it comes to when it comes to not only employee employee but an employer perspective. Um, and then beyond that, I I like to read for for entertainment and distraction purposes. So I, I try not to spend too much time making myself better. I try to escape a little bit when it comes to when it comes to books. Um, and so I kind of, uh, my, my personal preferences are historical, like nonfictions that are, are set in some sort of time period piece of some type. So um, I really like Ken Follett. Um, he does a lot of World War II kind of um, settings. And then he also does some medieval ones. Um, I like Bernard Cornwell. He, um, he does a long series called The, the Sworn Sword. Um, which was about kind of the formation of, of Britain from kind of small ununited kingdoms into, into what eventually became, became England. Um, and they actually made that into a, a Netflix um, series. So it's got to be good, obviously. And then, uh, uh, and then uh, Sharon K. Penman, she does um, pretty historical, accurate nonfiction pulling from archival records um, on a lot of the ancient kings from 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 England so all the way from from Richard the Lionheart and his entire family and 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 how that all how that all developed so she's got a really really cool series that's it's pretty in-depth and it's it's a dense read but um, it's I, I really like it awesome if you if you if you love history and you're new to the podcasting world if you haven't heard of Dan, Dan Cartland's uh, hardcore histories. Oh, you! I heard that when I tried it out. Yes, I yeah, like that one too. I was going to say that. They, I think everybody knows about that one. It's one of the most listened to podcasts on the in the universe. But it's spectacular. If you if you're a history buff, those are there's some spectacular series on there. But you need a lot of time. Yes, yes. Thankfully, my commute isn't super long. It's only about 15 minutes, so it's hard to get through an episode. It takes like two weeks to get through an episode because they're like four or five hours. Let it, let it invade, let podcasting invade the rest of your life. When you do the dishes, where you that's transitioning time, household, right? household chores, anything like that, where the kids are annoying you, 
like headphones on, cut them out, listen to something more interesting. I've got to figure out a way to do that covert ops because I've got I've got a three year old. So if I did that all the time, I think my my wife would get kind of kind of crabby with that plan. Yeah, so but the thing out. is, if you've got it on on silent, then you can't even hear your wife complain about it. So <laughs> <laughs> he's totally gonna chop that bit out. <laughs> no, wait, no, wait. Okay, Dad, this is very applicable to you because this is literally what you're doing with your new project. But you have an audience of the world's new graduates listening to you. But instead of a whole series of mentoring solutions, you can only tell them one little thing, one little bit of advice. What's your one bit of advice? Sure. Uh, my one little bit of advice is the same one that I give to, to all of the externs or students that that come into my practice and, and stay for a few weeks and, and as they're heading out the door. And it's it's the main limitations that you run into in veterinary practice are those that you put on yourself. And so um, be aggressive, be bold, um, overcome those limitations. And if you're not happy, find someone to, to help you get where you wanna go. But, but those limitations that you've set on, your, on yourself are, are those that you've put on yourself. So you can do anything that you want with, with, this, with this degree and with this industry. So um, don't, don't limit yourself. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Great, man, thank you so much. Yeah, great. man, this is awesome. Thank you guys Thank for you. having me. I could, I had so many other things I wanted to ask you, but time, time, time. We've got to cut it. We'll do another session in a, at, a, at a later stage and keep chatting. I'd love it. I'd love it. All right, mate. Thank you so much.